from James 1, 19 through 28. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason. I'm the staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we're so glad that you're here to worship with us tonight. As Amy just read for us, we are going through the book of James uh, verse by verse over the summer. And as we go through verse by verse, we come to this section at the end of James chapter 1 that Amy just read for us. Then tonight we're also going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 2. And in these two passages, we see a theme. One thing that we need to remember as we read these epistles or letters that are written in the New Testament is that they were not originally broken up into 10 different sermons, but they were read or written as one letter and then read by the church, and it took about 15 minutes. So as we break up these sections into 10 different sermons, one thing we have to realize is that it's one cohesive thought, that the author is building off of things that they've written before. And sometimes we can lose sight of that when we just hear one sermon one week and then one sermon the next. So this last section of James chapter 1 and then the first 10 verses of chapter 2, there's a theme of what it looks like to love our neighbor what it looks like to love our neighbor. So this week we are talking about loving our neighbor part one, and then next week we will take a look at loving our neighbor part two. Last week Brooks preached through the first 18 verses of James chapter one and laid out for us really the key theme when we open up the book of James and a theme that we're gonna continually go back to in this series. And that theme is what does faith look like? What is the work that faith does. And as we uh, think of that phrase, and as we look at the logo up here, the graphic for our series, there's kind of a, a double meaning going on there. Faith does a work in us, and when we have faith, we do good works. That's what the book of James is all about. We looked last week at the work that faith does in our life, that Jesus does a work in our life. He initiates faith in us, and then we live out that faith with the things that we do and the way that we love one another, which is specifically what we're highlighting in the next couple of weeks. So if you would, if you haven't already, open to James chapter 1. We're going to take a look at the verses that Amy just read for us. Verses 19 
through 21 is where we'll start. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, that let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Here, James lists off a few things that we are not to do if we are going to love one another. And he lists off three things that we are universally bad at. Right? There are three things that go together, but there are also three things that we are universally bad at. And don't think that there is any divide here between introverts and extroverts. We just process things differently, but we're all struggling with this. Being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then we're told that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. As we listen or do not listen to the things that other people are saying, we are prone to think about what we are going to say next, or we're thinking about something completely off topic instead of really listening to the person. So here we see a tendency that we find in our own hearts. This is something that must be overcome in our own hearts. Let's continue reading. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So we just looked at what we struggle to do. And then James is telling us how we overcome that. He mentions the implanted word of God, receiving with meekness the implanted word of God. The implanted word of God that comes to us and is planted in us because we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, then he puts his word, his law of liberty, as Jane calls it, into our hearts. His word is inside of us, and that word is doing a work through the power of the Spirit. The implanted word of God is how we overcome this tendency to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. It's how we overcome sin in our life. It's how we overcome the flesh. It's how to overcome self-deception, which he's about to talk about in the next few verses. It's by the implanted word of God. We're going to talk more about this next week in Loving Our Neighbor Part 2. We're going to talk more about the implanted word and how it leads to a life of righteousness, a life of love, a life of good works. If we do not rely on this implanted word, we will be crushed by hatred, anger, filthiness. And in verse 22, James says, by deceiving ourselves, by self-deception. Take a look with me at verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." He'll be blessed in his doing. Here we see James do something, even grammatically, that we see throughout Scripture in the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament writers write this way, Jesus talked this way, and then the New Testament epistles write this way. So you're about to learn a little theological principle that's going to help us here tonight. It's called a chiastic. This is where they set up their main point. 
They illustrate their main point and then they show the outcome or they follow up and, and summarize what they just said. As you start to see this theme, you'll see it throughout the Old and New Testament. So here he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So he says, if we just hear the word, but we don't do it, if we just read the word, but don't obey it, we are self-deceived. We're deceiving ourselves. Our faith is not what we say that it is. Then he illustrates the point with this parable. This parable of anyone who's hearing the word, he looks intently into his natural face in the mirror, and then he walks away and forgets what he looks like. And then he closes this by saying, we need to hear and do the word. And when we do that, we are blessed in our doing. So he makes this comparison between deceiving ourselves and being blessed in our doing. And the key to unlocking that blessing is doing the word and not just hearing the word. This lays out for us two principles that we are going to go back to in every sermon in the book of James. The implanted word of God gives freedom, liberty, and life and leads to doing good works. And James 2.17 tells us that faith without works is dead. This is what all of these sermons are built on because this is James' main point. This is what James is trying to get us to understand. Let's continue on in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So we're given a, a negative example here. We're given an example. Later, he's going to talk about this in chapter 2, about how if we are guilty of one part of the law, we are guilty of all the law. And so he gives us an example here. If we don't bridle our tongue, which he's going to write most of a chapter about in chapter 3, if we don't bridle our tongue, this is an example of self-deception. He also calls that kind of religion worthless. If we know what the word says, but then we don't do it, it's worthless. If we know deep theology, but then we don't tame our tongue, to use his language from chapter 3, then our religion is worthless. Then he gives us a positive example of what religion really is. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is a theme that is not new to James. This is a theme that we see throughout Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 8, God tells his people, I don't accept your fasting. I don't accept your religion because you use it for your own gain. But the fast I choose is to break the bonds of the oppressed. It's to do good. It's a, to live a life of justice. It's to set the captive free. This is what true faith looks like. So James here is saying what the Old Testament writers say, what the prophets say, what Jesus talks about. And now James is writing the same thing. He's telling us that true religion is one that takes action. That as Laura just, I almost called her Mrs. Ankrum. We call her Mrs. Ankrum around my house because she's my kid's teacher. But I think I can call her Laura in this building. Laura, can I call you Laura in this building? Good. As Laura just talked to us about, it's, it's not just saying that we believe, but it's, it's doing these good works. It's by caring about not just the spiritual needs of someone, the spiritual brokenness of someone, but about their physical condition. 
Read with me James chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Here, again, James continues what he's been talking about here, about what real religion is and what real faith is and what it means to be a doer of the word. And he lays out for us this situation. It sounds very similar to parables that Jesus told about how we treat people. James tells us this parable of how we treat people as they come in as guests to our home or guests to the feast that we are putting on. He is showing us, you can't say you're religious, you can't say you love God, you can't say you love your neighbor, and then show partiality towards someone based on their socioeconomic status or what they can do for you, or based on how it's going to look to others. James here is really just continuing a theme that we see throughout all of Scripture. As we read the Old Testament, if we understand Hebrew, which the Old Testament is written in, the idea of righteousness is not just about our personal holiness. When we hear the word righteousness, we often think about our own holiness or that we are the right kind of person or we are to be holy people, which is true. But this word righteousness, it truly means making right that which is crooked, it appears 300 times in the Old Testament. We see this word, it is either called righteousness or justice. In fact, 300 times in the Old Testament, it's called justice. And 130 times, it's called righteousness. But both have a similar connotation. It's a rightening or a straightening of that which man has made crooked. As I said, this theme of partiality, of treating each other in a crooked or an unrighteous way, is found throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is great and mighty and he is an awesome God. He is not partial and he takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love for the sojourner. Therefore, you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 16, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert 
justice. You shall not show partiality and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Isaiah 1 verses 15 through 20 God tells his people remove your sin and do justice and I will forgive you. Proverbs chapter 28 and 29 two entire chapters dedicated to the idea of partiality. And what wicked judgment and what righteous, just judgment looks like. And then throughout the Old Testament, God tells his people, show justice and love mercy because I am just and I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. Notice as you read through scripture how often God reminds his people, didn't I lead you out of the hand of Pharaoh? Didn't I lead you out of the hand of the oppressor? Didn't I enact justice on your behalf? Therefore, you act justly. Lest we think this is an Old Testament theme that James has caught on to, we find it in the New Testament as well. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, this is Mary's song of praise when she is told that she will give birth to the Son of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Jesus, as an adult, steps into the temple. It's the first account we have of him teaching in the temple in Luke chapter 4. He opens up the scroll and quotes from Isaiah and he says, He has anointed me to set the captive free, to break the bonds of wickedness, and to do justice. And then he says, this scripture has been fulfilled today in your hearing. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 1 John chapter 4 defines for us what a liar is. If we say we love God, but then we hate our brother, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. Friends, we see here from beginning to end, scripture tells us that the way we treat our fellow man, those made in the image of God, shows if we really know God or not. We cannot read who God is and say we believe it if we treat one another with hatred and racism and partiality. 
In fact, how we treat people shows if we understand the gospel at all. It shows if we are a Christian by name or if we are really following Jesus. Justice and how we live is obviously on the heart of God. We have this even built into the foundations of our constitution as a country. We read in the very beginning of our constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It seems that this is built into our scriptures. It is built into the nature of our God. It is even built into our constitution. So why do we keep getting it wrong? Why do we keep getting this wrong? How have we gotten mercy and justice ministry wrong and still do? A few things. Often, we have thought that the body and physical situation or the social injustices were not as important as people's souls. So we have not cared for the physical well-being of people. At times, we often think that justice and mercy are somehow opposed to the gospel. When we hear The word justice, we tend to think in political terms instead of thinking about how it's in the Old Testament 430 times. We've gotten justice wrong by our sole concern being we just need to think right theologically. We have been hearers of the word and not doers of the word. We have had selective hearing. We have had self-deception where we have read the Bible and used confirmation bias to just continue on practicing the same worthless religion that God says he abhors. This is something, getting justice and mercy wrong, this is not something that one political party has the advantage over another political party. This is something that both sides, if you will, get wrong. One side uses terms, one side uses terms like woke as a pejorative to slap on anything that they don't want to dig into deeply. While the other side of the political spectrum says things like I heard in a sermon in person one day that said racial justice is the gospel. Period. We think in political terms, we use pejoratives and euphemisms instead of going to the perfect law that gives freedom and seeing who God says he is. Living out justice and mercy and trying to change the physical situation of others is a powerful apologetic for who God is and what he has told us to do in bringing good news. Living a life of justice and mercy shows the power of God. There is no political party and no politician that will ever free our country or our hearts from injustice. It's only the God who delivered his people with an outstretched and powerful arm who can deliver us from such self-deception. Being people of justice shows the justice of God. God uses himself as the highest form of justice in every occasion in the Old Testament. He is justice and he has acted justly and he uses himself as the example. 
No political system, no era of history, no country, and no constitution has ever gotten justice right. Only a God who is just can bring justice. Being people of justice shows the beauty of God. Being people of justice shows the heart of God. Jesus even puts it this clearly in Matthew 25, verses 40 and 45. Whatever you do for the least of these, you have actually done it for me. When you care for the physical needs of people, it is as if you have done it for Jesus himself. Living justly is a reminder of what God has already done and what he will do in the future. This is why we're talking about Juneteenth today. It falls on today, and this is the scripture that God ordained that we talk about. But we think that in this idea of Juneteenth, there are things for us to lament, and there are things for us to celebrate, as Lisa said earlier. For generations and centuries in our country, these injustices that I'm about to list off have been done as Christians watched and were passive towards the plight of those made in the image of God. That same constitution that said that all men are created equal, later in the same document said that black men and women were three-fifths of a human being. Slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, redlining, racial disparity in incarcerations, jail sentences, the use of the death penalty, all done as church folks watched. It happened in Christian homes. It was found in churches. It was done on the church's watch and right under their nose. Often this took place because it didn't fit our political preferences of the white church. And so we didn't say anything about it. Martin Luther King in his letter from a Birmingham jail said, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderates. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizens' council or the Ku Klux Klan, but it's the white moderate. The white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is an absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. End quote. God's word doesn't let us off the hook. James 1, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the God our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. But you have dishonored the poor man. James asks us, do we really believe the gospel? Do we really believe that it's good news? Do we believe that we brought nothing to the table in our salvation? Nothing but slavery to sin. Nothing but slavery to self-deception and the flesh and the ways of this world. 
Do we really believe that the gospel is good news? The law that gives freedom has been implanted in us if we are in Christ. So we must ensure that that law that gives us freedom governs every area of our life and every area of this earth and speak up when it does not. We must ensure that the humanity and the imago Dei, that others are made in the image of God, is recognized in all and not rest until it is. Slavery was and racism is a sin against mankind, humanity, humanity, and another person who is made in the image of God, just like you and me. It is a sin against God because it does not recognize the law of God that brings liberty has been implanted in someone else. We can't rest just in the fact that we may think rightly about a certain systematic theology. We cannot rest in the fact that we hear God's word every week and we hopefully go to the right church. We can't rest in voting for a particular candidate or party. We cannot wait to see what our church is going to do about justice. We must be people of justice because God is a God of justice. At the heart of the gospel is the story of slaves set free. Romans 6.18 says that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we have become slaves to his righteousness. The gospel is the story of those who deserve death and condemnation for their self-deception, for the fact that they have racist hearts, for the fact that they have enslaved others, have an opportunity to be set Free, we are told in Second Corinthians five twenty one, the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus says he comes and takes our place. Jesus says, Come, take my yoke upon you, my yoke that's easy and light, and I will take your chains, I will take your sin, I will take your fallenness, your wickedness. And I will offer you my righteousness. In the Old Testament, there was something known as the year of Jubilee. It was between the 49th and 50th year. The, the calendar was on this cycle of seven-year cycles and then 49 into 50-year cycles. And in the year of Jubilee, they would set captives free who had been enslaved or who worked for others. They would pay restitution to anyone who had been wronged or was owed a certain amount of money. They would let the land rest a year as well. It was a time of celebration and remembrance. The year Jubilee comes from the word for ram's horn. It's because they would use a ram's horn and they would blow a ram's horn to celebrate the year of Jubilee and the year of freedom. And they would remember how God had delivered his people with an outstretched arm and they would mimic that. They would show that with how they treated the land and one another and their finances and the finances of others. Their deep theological belief in what their God had done for them led them to treat everything that he had created differently in light of his love and justice. The slaves that were freed in Galveston, Galveston Texas, 250,000 slaves 
were told that they were free in Galveston, Texas, many of them went directly to the churches. Many of them established the first black-run church in Galveston. That was the first thing they did. They didn't set up businesses. They didn't plant fields. They went immediately and they started churches and they called it their time of Jubilee. And it was known for many years as the year of Jubilee or Jubilee Day because of what God has done. And because you and I have been set free, we have a good news to shout about. We have a freedom to communicate to others And we have a righteousness to live for and a God of justice to serve. So in just a moment, we're going to go through some action steps of how to not show partiality. And next week, we're going to talk about what does it look like to be a doer of the word more generically? What does it look like to be a doer of the word? But here, we're going to talk about some things that we can do to make sure that we are not showing partiality in our life. And before I get into this list, I have to confess that as I put this list together, there were two of the items on this list that I had to pursue and do before I could, in good faith, stand before all of you and recommend that we should do these things. We need to take action on what we say we believe. The first one is be set free. Be set free. The Bible tells us that in our natural state, We are born into wickedness. We are born into crookedness. We are not righteous. We are not just. We are separated from our God. We go our own way and we are desperate in desperate need of spiritual freedom to be delivered from our sins. As God says, I'm a God of justice and as God delivers justice and delivers people with his outstretched arm, He wants to show us, that's what I want to do for you physically, but it's also what I want to do for your heart. I want to free you from the slavery of sin. I want to free you from the slavery of idolatry and self-deception. And I want to set you free to be alive to God. That's what we read in God's word. We read, we have now been set free. We are now made alive in him. So maybe you need to be set free from the slavery to your own flesh and your own sin for the first time. What a great day to do that. What a jubilee that could be for you to be set free from your sins. If you know you have already been set free from your sins, we need to act like it. We need to be doers of the word and live this life of jubilee that says, I have been set free and we need to show others how to be set free as well. Next, We need to rejoice in progress. We need to rejoice in the progress that we have seen in our world, in our country, in our community, in our church. We need to rejoice where we see God doing justice. We need to rejoice where we see things that were crooked being made right. The thing is, we were made for a just world. By a just God, if we are made in his image, we are made to have a just relationship with him, with the world around us, and with our neighbor. We're made for justice, but sin enters the world and brings injustice, brings a crookedness to the natural order. And so things need to be brought back to a place of righteousness. And we need to rejoice when we see righteousness taking place and justice done in the world. The natural order now because of sin is bent towards entropy, means things are going more and more towards chaos. 
Martin Luther King Jr. said that the long arc of history goes towards justice. But what he was referring to is when God and his word and his people intervene. That he believed that as God's word, spirit, and people intervened, that over the long haul, things would go towards justice. But it's only when his people believe and do the good news. We rejoice when this progress is made. We rejoice also out of empathy. To rejoice with those who are rejoicing. It's a spiritual principle. It's part of being a part of the family of God. So we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We lament even when something has not affected us personally. That's part of what today is about is lamenting. It is being empathetic towards others that have a different story than us. One of the most eye-opening conversations I have ever had in my life happened about five years ago when I was talking to a sister in Christ who was telling me her origin of where she had come from and, and where she was born. And she said that her grandmother tells stories of being uh, raised by a slave. And she told me how their family last name came about. Her family last name came about through slavery. And she pointed out to me, there is no black person that came from Africa with the last name Smith. That name was taken on because either they did not know their last name or they came into this world via slavery. I've never thought of that before because it doesn't impact me. We need to lament as we hear other stories and whether it affects us or not or whether it's our story or not. We need to have empathy and we need to mourn injustice. We need to listen well. If some story we hear does not fit our preconceived political categories, we need to first obey God by having empathy and, and mourning with those who mourn. Next, we need to search our heart. We need to ask God to search our heart for the sin and the biases that lead to sins of omission and commission. Sins we do on purpose out of our self-deceived hearts and sins that we don't even realize that we have committed. We need to ask God to search our heart and show us for any evil, wicked, crooked thing that is in our own hearts. We have blind spots that we are just not aware of and we need God through his word, spirit, and people to show us. We need to make restitution for those that we have wronged. We have self-deception, James 1.22 tells us. We need to be made aware of those things and then we need to make restitution. Ask for forgiveness. Confess our sins. Make restitution when necessary. There's always going to be hurt in this world. There's always going to be blind spots. And there's always going to be strife. But you know what part of the good news of the gospel is? We have been forgiven. And we can forgive others. And we can be forgiven by them. Our world is an absolute mess trying to work through justice. It is only people that worship a just God and have the implanted word of God in them that can truly make this world a just place. And we'll do that even when we make mistakes and have to make restitution. Lastly, we need to get active. James 1.25 says, A doer 
We need to be a doer who acts. A doer who acts. Opal Lee is a 94-year-old woman who six years ago, at the young age of 88, decided that Juneteenth should be a federal holiday. And she wanted to see it become a federal holiday before she died. So, in honor of Juneteenth, she started walking from Galveston, Texas, and she wanted to walk to the president's office and tell him that Juneteenth should be a federal holiday. Age of 88. She took action on what she was passionate about. She took action on what she believed. She only made it 300 miles. Her family convinced her this is not a good idea. Her health started fading. It's real hot in Texas. But in the process, she gained a million signatures. And five years later, Juneteenth became a federal holiday. She was motivated by a good news and a desire for justice that led her to do crazy things that were maybe bad for her health. We need to get active. God's word does not leave us with the option of passivity when it comes to injustice. We may disagree on how we go about this. We may disagree on what political party we should belong to or how we should vote or exactly what this should look like or the depths of the injustice and exactly what it looks like. But we don't have the option of doing nothing. It should impact the way that we vote. It should impact how we live. We need to diversify the kinds of resources that we are reading about history and theology and sociology and anthropology. And we need to call for justice whenever we see that it's not taking place. A call for justice is not necessarily a call for sameness, but it is a call for equal opportunity. And when we see that people are not being treated equally, we as believers must speak up. An example of this is voting rights. This is going to sound like the most political thing I say all night, but I just want to warn you that neither side is interested in equal voting rights. Both sides are interested in getting certain people to vote and keeping other people from voting. This is unjust. This is not fair. This is not a democracy. This is not what voting should look like. We need to speak up about things like that. When we see things that are obviously wrong, we speak up and we call BS on both sides when they are not living according to justice. Next week, we will learn about more what it means to be a doer of the word, but we would be remiss if we did not take a moment and evaluate our own hearts and worship the God of justice and ask him to do his work through us as we are people of justice. Heavenly Father, may we go forth into the world in peace, being of good courage and holding fast to what you say is good. Father, may we render to no one evil for evil, instead strengthening the faint-hearted, supporting the weak, and helping the afflicted. Father, may we make restitution and seek forgiveness for the wrongs we have done, and may we honor everyone and love and serve you, our Lord, rejoicing 
in the power of your spirit. May we be your church and your people. Today, may we remember the good news that Christ has bought our freedom and share this good news with others that they may be set free. May we go forth in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.